Welcome to the Portland Real Estate Podcast, Oregon and Southwest Washington's number one show for real estate news and information. Without further ado, here are your hosts and a couple of guys who as busy realtors and successful brokerage owners know a thing or two about real estate. Steve Nassar of Premier Property Group and Joe Fistolo of Soldera Properties. We have a really, really interesting podcast this time. We have some big topics to cover, and I'll introduce our guest host in a second. First, I'm going to introduce my co-host, Steve. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. And I just shared it to my wall. And Rob, you could probably do the same thing. I don't know if you're able to do it on the device you have. But yeah, normally, as Joe said, normally we live stream this into a very large Facebook group with about 8,000 real estate professionals. Um, little technical glitch. So we're going to just share it to our walls, which we each have about 5,000 friends. So I think we're still going to hit a big audience. And most of them are in in masters. And, and we will still push this out as a podcast and all the other channels that we do. So anyways, to your point, Joe, very excited for this show. You know, a strong belief that I have with this podcast, I've been doing this podcast now going on, believe it or not, nine years almost. It was the brainchild of Tucker Merrihue who who moved out of the area. He reached out to Joe and I yesterday and we are talking to him. We're going to get him back on for get the band back together and do a show in December and kind of go over some happenings in real estate and and welcome him back to the show. That'll be fun. But him and I started this nine years ago. One of the things I believe and where I was going with this, there's not always a great topic, you know, revolutionary, big, huge, you know, aha topic to discuss. So sometimes we jump on here and we talk about a little bit of housekeeping and real estate, you know, this form change, this industry changed, little minor baby topics, right? But what I do believe is we've kept this show going. We're on our 155th episode today. We've kept this show going. We've kept our audience going. We've kept them engaged because every once in a while, and I would say it's every year or two, something major does happen. This is why we have this show, is when those major things happen, we now have this platform to discuss those major things. And today is one of those days. And we are going to talk about the big changes with NAR and the lawsuits and and some of the stuff that could be coming down the pike at us. And so without further ado, Joe, I'm going to kick it back to you so you can introduce our wonderful guest today. Oh, great. And and while I do that, Steve, put a note in Masters and tell them to go to our walls, right? That is a great um, idea. For the technical difficulties. So look, if, if you're in real estate or real estate related business and you don't know Rob Levy, it probably says more about you than anything else. I mean, Rob is an icon in our market. He's an amazing professional. He's a friend. He's also a great investor. I know he has tons of rentals and, you know, he's he's doing things right. And he has longevity. I mean, he he got his license right when cars were invented and he's been going strong ever since. And you're right, Steve, the topic at hand is a big topic. It's a 1.8 billion that was that went against NAR with the potential to go to 5 billion. And then that's spurring other lawsuits. 
which could very well change the landscape of real estate. And here to, to talk about, and Rob speaks all over the place. So Rob's super knowledgeable on all facets of real estate, but Rob, welcome to the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Oh, holy cow, Joe, how did I follow that? You're making me feel really tall and I'm only five foot six. <laughs> but yes, I am I'm getting ancient, I guess. Matter of fact, I just turned 65. So thank you all for paying for my medical bills going forward. Sure. But yeah, I got in the business in 1988. And of course, I've seen a lot of changes since then. As a matter of fact, any of you on my Facebook page might have seen a really interesting post. I know this is off topic, but I love to mention this, that I put up where um, I sold a house to a lady in 1989 for 50 grand or about. And then five years later, I sold her another house and talked her into keeping it as a rental. And we just listed it for like a 760% increase in price. And her tenants have paid for the house six times over. So I'm putting that as a plug because I want to talk about buying rentals down the road. But yes, thanks for having me here. Happy to share. I've done some research, got some notes. Of course, I'm a director at RMLS and I am, uh, go travel to D.C. and meet with our centers and, and stuff for the NARPAC. So I've got a lot of information I'd like to share. And I also want to kind of get people to calm down because we've kind of been through this before, as you alluded earlier. It's, well, they, Let's they talk about that, about Rob. Let, let's start the there. Yeah. Please tell us, was it 1993? What was it? Well, so when I got in the business, we all represented sellers. Sellers paid a commission, whatever that may be. And that was shared, actually not even equally, but it was shared between the buyer's agent and the listing agent. So if I was a buyer's agent, Steve, and you'd listed a house for whatever commission that may be, I actually worked for the seller, as did you. So I couldn't tell my buyer, you know, hey, let's offer less or you know, I think we should offer this, or I think we should ask for that, because I was actually hurting the seller who I actually worked for. And in 1993, Oregon came out with buyer agency. And by the way, that's- I mean, they, can you, can you clear, that seems, so there was no negotiations? It was, that it was no, fiduciary duties, both realtors represented the seller. So Was it almost like double ending a deal where you just go, buyer, tell me what you want to offer and I'll take it? And you couldn't of, advise I mean, them? Kind of, yeah. It's like, yeah, we all did it, but we, there's things we couldn't disclose and stuff because we were sub-agents of, of the seller. Okay, so you listed a house, you listed Mary and Joan Smith's house, and you, with, you know, Steve Massar with Premier Property Group, listed the house. Technically, I was a sub-agent of you through the company I worked for at the time, which was Stan Whaley, which eventually became Prudential. I'm really dating myself there. So in 19, and so yes, negotiations happened all the time. Obviously, market cycles happen and negotiations happen, but it came down to what you could disclose and what you didn't disclose. And there were no property disclosures at the time. Matter of fact, the form was one page for, for the offers. So anyhow, what happened in 1993 is the state of, state of Colorado, I believe, came out with it first and Oregon was second. And that's where buyer agency came about. And so that allowed us to work for the buyer, even though we'd be being, being paid for by the seller. And fast forward all these years, what's that, 21 years? My math is terrible. 21 years later, that's where all this trouble's coming in. And that's why these lawsuits are so massive, because some of them, like Batten 2, which is the new big one, which is 200 billion plus, they're going after every single commission paid to a buyer in the last 20 years. And so that was the biggest change. But the point that I wanted to make is that I was a fairly new agent. I was young. You know, I was like, okay, we'll adapt. And some of the older agents at the time thought the sky was falling, life's going to change, how could I ever make any money in this business, blah, 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 blah. And of course, it all worked out. 
And that's kind of what I they wanted to say. They viewed that here. to be a bad change when suddenly you weren't working for both. And and that's the thing about the business. I think we can all agree. People just hate change, even if right. it's hard to perceive it as good change initially. It's just change. And, and there's a, a propensity to hate the change. But what was the belief at the time, Rob? Like, was it, oh, no, now go further on that? Well, I mean, I've been doing this for about well, actually 35 years next week. So the people that were doing it 35 years back then were saying, oh, my God, this is the way we've done it. These guys are stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. It's going to hurt sales. Prices are going to crash. I mean, mm. everything, all the mm-hmm. same type of stuff that we're hearing now, really. And and you're, you're dead on right, Steve. I thrive on change, probably because I went to 24 schools in 12 years in five countries as a kid. But other people can't stand change. And mm-hmm. change is just a constant in our business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with change also comes opportunity. Basically, so I started in 91. And so when I started this talk about both brokers, you have the listing agent and then the sub agent to the broker that both represented the seller. And it was kind of everybody against the buyer. They kept saying that the what we call a buyer's agent now might go to a flat fee for a list of services or get paid like an attorney on an hourly basis. And about every... I don't know, seven, eight years, they would really beat down on that until they finally eventually made a change and said, okay, we have two agents. The buyer's agent will have fiduciary responsibility with the buyer. The listing agent will have fiduciary responsibility with the seller, but it's all paid for by the seller. And there's financial reasons for that. And we'll unpack that later. I mean, why it's easier for a seller to pay our commission than the buyer, even if they have to pay a little bit higher price. It's just, well, maybe we just go into it. Take, take for easy math, take a million dollar house. If it changes where a buyer has to pay our commission, so a million dollar house, let's say they put down 20%. So there's 200,000, the buyer chunks down. They have to pay for all the inspections. They got to pay the loan origination fee. They got to pay title. And then at the end of it, let's just use arbitrary BAC buyer agent compensation number of 2.5% of the sale price. So then they would need to to bring an additional $25,000 for the realtor who represented them. Take that same scenario and how we are now, that buyer could buy a million dollar house and put forth all of that money and say, hey, you know what? You could either bring another 25 grand to pay your broker or how about we just make the price a million twenty-five thousand, which is where we are now, and we are re-engineering it to go backwards to go forward, and it just isn't as feasible for a buyer to do it that way. Politically, you know, people always look out for the hardest hit people, so a lot of us it's not going to make that much of a difference. But if you're a first-time home buyer buying like an average price in the Midwest, and I wrote this down just to do the math because you can kind of double it for Portland. Let's say you're buying a $250,000 house on an FHA loan. That's $8,750 down. I threw in $3,000 in closing costs, although it's probably less, but that's around about twelve grand. Well, if you're a first-time home buyer and that's, you've got thirteen grand in the bank, that's all you've got, how would you pay our fee, which I just wrote in there at 2.7%, of course, that's negotiable, of $6,750? You can't finance it. You can't go to the bank and finance it. And that's the biggest issue, I think, right now is it's going to hurt the people who need it the most. 
So I think the way this will roll out is the banks are going to have to figure out a way how to finance the buyer's agency fee, because that's exactly what they're doing right now. If I buy your house for $100,000 to use round numbers, and I'm getting the 2.5% you just mentioned, then really the bank is financing that 2.5% that you built into your price to pay the buyer's agent. Correct. Mm -hmm. I don't think we know how this is going to go. I think it's very fluid. There is a scenario, what I do feel is coming down the pike that's probably the, the momentum is there and and I know some are fighting it and and it's it's been interesting to me to hear very intelligent people in our business fighting this whole change and saying, no, 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 this is bad for us. This is bad for the industry. This is bad for the, the consumer. And I don't disagree with them, but government and change has happened before that was bad for the consumer. And I feel the momentum on this one, like you said, I mean, the lawsuits are just starting to fly. And 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 I think there's a lot of copycat lawsuits occurring that's going to, and the DOJ is in the wings, you know, ready to maybe do something, even if that doesn't do the trick in their opinion. So I think the change is coming. I think I think flash forward to some point in the future, there's going to be some type of decoupling of the commissions. There will no longer be a BAC per se in the MLS. Now, what that does mean could be, yes, the buyer has to pay themselves. That's that's one scenario. Another scenario is that the buyer, when writing the offer, then asks for and negotiates it from the seller. Where currently that's not the case. Currently, when whoever the buyer is, whatever their offer is, it's guaranteed that there's a BAC for them, right? The buyer's agent, I should say, sorry. In the future, there could be a scenario where as that offer is written, the seller then gets to negotiate. Hey, you're giving me a good offer. Okay, I'll give you X percentage. Oh, you're giving me a crappy offer. No, you're not going to get that percentage. Or you're an inexperienced agent. Your offer looked terrible and there was a lot of mistakes in it. I'm 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 going to beat you up on your commission. And so I, there's a few ways this is could and shake out. I mean, what's your thoughts on that, Rob? I mean, well, I think I think we've kind of I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Maybe I, I wrote down a few notes to kind of because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the lawsuits and the different names and what they represent and what they're actually suing for and what they want. Can I take like two, three minutes and just kind of sure. quickly cover that? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So the first one that came came into place is called Merle, M-O-E-H-R-L. And I believe it was in Chicago. And that was the one that was about the commission, where the guy said, look, the seller paid the commission, which I think was 2.7% in this case. And I never got the right to negotiate that. And yet I'm paying it. And that was the one that got all the publicity that we were all so worried and scared about. Meanwhile, another one came along called Sitzer, which is the one that just settled in, was it Louisville, I think? Missouri. I don't know. Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, somewhere back. Where it's Attorney was a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. He winter. said that in every interview. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. He said, he said, when the Kansas City Chiefs come to, I love my Kansas City Chiefs, and when when the the Dallas Cowboys come to town, we don't pay for their their coaches. Why why should we? Why should sellers pay for buyers agents? Anyway, that's that, right, that attorney yeah. could buy the Chiefs after that settlement. <laughs> so that was a different one, right? They sued, I believe, it was four large companies, Remax and Home Services, which used to be Prudential. They settled, which I thought, wow, that's stupid. And boy, was I wrong. Because then it went to court and the jury in like an hour after the two-week or three-week trial, basically 100% said, no, 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 Keller Williams and was it anywhere, I guess? 
with the other defendants um, were wrong on this, and they're conspiring to keep commissions high. And I forget what it were, the award was. It's like about somewhere about two billion, and that's automatically tripled to five point three five billion under their law. So that had nothing to do with fixing commissions. Uh, or excuse me, not to, with the commission percentages being paid by bar. That had to do with fixing commissions. They That jury believed that Remaxes of the world and the Gary Kellers and Alan Daltons, based on some videos that went out, had actually conspired to fix commissions. And they showed videos of realtors like us being taught by people like them on how to negotiate a commission with a seller and stuff like that. The moment that happened, the lawyer that did that, started another one called Batten 2. And these are from, this is different. This is from buyers, not sellers. And this one is for $200 billion. There's also seven other trials going on. And this morning, I just got a notice where there's another one that just popped up against the Texas Association of Realtors and then San Antonio Board, Metro Tech Association, Keller Williams, Fathom Realty, all sorts of stuff that are named in there. And again, the notes say the supposed conspiracy makes sellers pay costs that in a fair market without the defendant's unfair limits would normally be paid by the home buyer. Steve, you mentioned the DOJ one. Well, the DOJ one was settled with the Association of Realtors, but before it was finalized, the DOJ pulled out. And mm-hmm. that one is legal constraints on competition. So that's going to be a biggie too, primarily against NAR, not against real estate companies like the other ones are. So a couple of things I wanted to say about that. First off, NARPAC. Guys, donate to NARPAC, which is the National Association of Realtors Political Action Committee, because they fight all that stuff on our behalf. They do a lot of things, like getting rid of 1031s, which was going to happen. The reason that didn't happen was because of the National Association Political Action Committee. The second thing I will say for listeners up in Washington know a lot more about this than I do, but Seattle, which is not a a broker-owned MLS, it's a privately-owned MLS, Northwest MLS, they switched over a year ago. So in Seattle, Northwest MLS, if you listed the house as a listing agent, you could put zero in there to be paid to the buyer's agents. And yet, if you go look at all as a buyer's agent, log into Northwest MLS, look at all the listings, they're pretty much all the same as ours down here. They're offering compensation to buyer's agents. So that shouldn't change things so much from that perspective. And by the way, in in our MLS here in Portland, we've been able to go down as low as a dollar for a few years now. You could have put a dollar in there as a buyer's agent commission. And we've all seen them. And I know in my case, when I see them, I get a buyer's agency form signed. The other thing is, is in Washington on January the 1st, it's going to be mandatory for all buyers to sign a buyer's agency form. Oregon, I know, is right now talking about it, real estate agency, and California is talking about implementing it on June 1st. I'm actually licensed in California because I also sell in Palm Springs in the wintertime. I get that those changes have happened. What if, though, NAR, because of these lawsuits and because of the overwhelming force coming at them, has to in a settlement of the lawsuits, dictate that we cannot pay BACs. Well, then the issue- That's very different than what Washington's done. Washington's said a year ago, whatever, and I'm licensed in Washington, that you don't have to do whatever you want, but what if they said you can't pay BACs? Well, then the buyers are going to have to figure out a way to pay for it, and therein lies the problem, because as soon as, like I said earlier, as soon as the news and everybody else figures out the people are going to get hurt, and not the three of us, we could afford to pay the commission. It's the people buying the first time home buyers are not going to be able to be, able to be able to afford to pay their buyers. Now, I do need to make another note. I mentioned that I moved a ton as a kid. I grew up in Europe. I was just in England twice this year, in Italy and also Greece. 
the reality is brokerage fees over there are like one or two percent. And it's pretty common that if you're going to list your house in London, you'll list it with seven different realtors. And so, you know, everywhere else in the world, well, not everywhere because Australia uses an auction system, but most of the Western world does things a little differently than we do here in the United States. That's been stated does repeatedly in interviews that on CNBC, they say, you know, average commissions are five to six percent here in the United States, but in Europe, it's two percent. Or And so that, that's that been a lot of the pressure in this process uh, the, Correct. The, that has built the momentum. And what's what's interesting is these juries, they're all consumers. Of course, they love low commissions. Of course, they hate. They think we're the big, bad realtors with, you know, BMWs and how dare we. Right. Of course. Keep I think going, it's Rob. heading it's heading in the direction which if you go way back to the Floyd Wickman sweat hog days and all that I stuff know. he's an old motivational speaker who is a little out there and crazy but it enforces that the listing agent is king become a marketing specialist and then you don't have to necessarily worry about what's happening on the buyer's side you're going to have buyers because of it you're going yeah. to have buyers because of it but there are going to be adjustments. And what I think will happen is I think every broker is going to need buyer broker agreement with their buyers. But this is the first time buyers brokers needs to justify their commission to that buyer, right? Because it's already done with the seller and the listing agent. Now we have to justify our commission to the buyer. And whatever can kill a profession I think a lot of people will be moving towards that profession. If there's someone that's like, hey, I'm a I'm a services buyer's agent for hire for a flat fee of X, $5,000, 1%, whatever it is, I will open the door, write an offer, do an inspection, and then I get this much money, whatever it may be. I think there's going to be a big shift, at least on the buying side and how commissions are paid. And then one quick thing, and I'm going to point it back to you guys, is it is illegal for realtors to participate in crediting for repairs or buying home warranties or things like that. But there are ways around it. Like if I want to buy a home warranty for a buyer, for example, I can have the listing agent reduce my commission, the amount of that home warranty, and the seller could buy their their home warranty. So technically, the buyer gets a home warranty. I'm getting that much less money, but it's coming from the seller. I think for the buyers that want to buy that house that don't have the extra money, the buyer broker agreement will tell you that I'm getting this money from the buyer unless I can negotiate it from the seller. And I think we're going to have an offer. And I think it's all going to get pushed back on the seller and then the buyer will finance it unless lenders agree to start financing brokers compensation through the loan. What do you guys think? Now, they're now working on that. And Joe, you, you made a good point. And I was, I was leafing around on, on uh, Facebook last night, which I do way more than I should. And I saw there's a post floating around right now amongst my realtor friends around the country. And it's like, I can't remember the number, but I'm going to say it's like 138 things that a listing agent does for you. And they're good points. I mean, there's this really good list, and I looked through it, and probably 20% of them I never thought about telling people that I do. But what made me think is with all this going on, I don't think I've ever seen that from a buyer's side. Nobody's ever come up with a good list of what we do as a buyer's agent. You mentioned opening the door, let them in. 
we all know it, and all the listeners know, the business really starts the moment an offer is made and getting it accepted, inspections, negotiations. There's always some sort of crap that comes up in the middle of a deal, every deal. And somebody needs to come up with that, that list. And once we do, and once we all refine that, once we go to our buyers, and if somebody's in a completely different profession than us, they'll see value in what we do, and we have to sell that to them. And I think at that point, we're okay. The part that needs to be figured out is that, how do we finance that commission? And that will get figured out. And by the way, there's another little issue. If a house just sold for $100,000 and they paid a 6% commission, just to use an example, and then I sell the same one next door, but the buyer agent's paying the commission, then isn't that house worth 3% less if it's split 50-50 as an example? So they got to figure that part out too from the appraisal side. Exactly right. There is a list. I think it's NAR or PMAR puts out 176 things we do as a listing agent. And you're right. Nobody really talks about what you do as a buyer's agent. I know there are brokers that drafted a list of, hey, what I do for you as a buyer, you know, negotiate, find your houses on and off the market and all that other stuff. But I think with the negotiation of the commissions and this monopoly lawsuit that they're talking about, if they divide it up, we may need to sell ourselves to buyers as well as sellers in the future. Exactly. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And and look, if this talk about getting paid like an attorney, if we get paid 500 bucks an hour, it could potentially work to our benefit because you ever have a buyer that like has been looking for three years and never pulled the trigger or the seller that you know, they take all the bad deals they ever had in their entire life and they're going to make it all back in this one real estate deal by listing 10% above market value. And if we get paid hourly, it could be necessarily against them. I don't see it going that way, Joe. I, I don't either. Really, I'd be I, really surprised if there was ever anything in the future. I think, in my opinion, it's going to go down one of two tracks. It's either, and and I think at some point, NAR is going to put their hands up and go, we surrender. If you take these lot, we'll settle these lawsuits. If we mandate that none of our MLSs can have a BAC, not optional, just it's impossible. There will be no BAC through the M MLS. Then it's going to be one of two tracks. It's either going to be the buyer fully has to pay. And that could mean loan financing, whatever. Or then when the offer comes in, is when the negotiations can potentially happen. And I've tried to look at this. I try very hard to take my realtor hat off and look at this from 40,000 feet as the public, as the government, as the consumer, right? And I see a little bit of what they're saying. I mean, currently you list a house, say it's a million dollar house and you and you have your BAC there, and the BAC is the same whether somebody brings you an $800,000 offer or they bring you a million dollar offer. In other words, seller, I'm going to, whether I kick your ass in negotiations or I'm nice to you and pay you full price, you're going to pay me the same percentage. I know it's, I know it's lower because it's a smaller price, but the percentage is the same, right? Similarly, if Rob, who's been doing this for 35 years, and I, I'm going to guess you've sold a thousand houses, right? A lot more than that, yeah. A lot more than that. Okay, thousands and thousands of houses. Whether Rob writes the offer or Joe Schmo, who got their license a month ago, writes the offer, they're both getting the same darn commission, right? 
So I think I, I can see a little bit by taking my realtor hat off, what they're trying to accomplish is like, is that really fair? Shouldn't the seller, when the offer comes in, be able to decide what they want to pay that buyer's agent, maybe based on the offer, maybe based on the buyer's agent's credentials, maybe based on how they feel that day, right? Hey, you're you're giving me a good, maybe based on the market, by the way, guys, in a market like this, heck, he might want to give them way more than they'd normally get. But in a market like 2021, maybe, like, maybe they want to be like Lennar. Hey, we're just going to give you peanuts. So if it goes down the track, that track, and the the powers that be, which I would say is the states or the Fed on the federal level or the MLSs, if they allow the negotiations to happen when the offer comes in, and I would hope that's the way it goes, by the way, I would hope that's the track this goes down. Then the seller can decide at the time of the offer because it's written into the offer. And Washington has already done this, by the way. And you know that, Rob, right? You, you, mm -hmm. We talked about that. Washington currently is already doing this. You write your commission in the offer. It was always no-no that you, ne you never talk about your commissions with the buyer and the seller, but that's changed in Washington, right? If it goes down that track, that's the better track. Then that's the point of negotiations, right? And maybe, maybe it's a combination. Maybe the buyer the buyer's agent and the buyer have a buyer service agreement saying I'm going to get 2% and maybe the seller says, well, I'm only going to give you 1%. So now the buyer is paying their buyer's agent 1% for, to, to create the, the full 2%. That's the preferred track. The other track would be if all the powers that be say, no, 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 no. Seller is never going to pay the buyer's agent. Then it's a hundred percent on the buyers. And I think that's, I think that's the worst case scenario for this industry and for the consumers, because now we create the environment where the buyers are footing the entire bill. Many will not, even though they should, even though it's in their interest, they're going to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to go straight to the listing agent or I'm going to pay peanuts to the, the cheapest buyer's agent. Those are a couple of the scenarios that I think that could play out. What, what's your take on that, Rob? I can see either one going, but I think it's more likely to, to end up on the second where the buyers end up paying their fee. You and think, we're going to. You don't think the sellers could negotiate? You, you think that's the more likely of the scenarios? Well, I do, but and I hesitate in saying it because you know this is my fourth recession as a realtor that I've been through. And I remember back in several of the other ones where you know basically a seller had raised the BAC, right? So let's say they listed it for 2.5. And then all of a sudden, it's like 4% BAC. Basically, they're saying, hey, buy me, buy me. I'll bribe that buyer's agent realtor with more money to help you buy me. So, I mean, who knows how it's going to work out? The one thing I do know is it's going to change. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I do know is that we're going to learn, have to learn to justify what we do to our buyers. Because I don't think they have a clue. They don't know how many hours we put in. They don't know that we're sitting there at 1030 at night texting back and forth with another agent over a bathroom fan, you know, I mean, all that sort of stuff. In those European countries, by the way, Rob, where we were talking about, I mean, a lot of them go straight to the listing agent, right? They go straight to the listing agent or they hire their agent and they pay their fee. And yep. by the way, a lot of my cousins are in the real estate business in London. So I'm quite familiar with it. I'm willing to bet that I'll, there's a high percentage that go straight to the listing agent and they just don't. And I'm not saying it's right for them, but let me give you a little perspective. My dad came from the travel industry. He's been in the travel industry. He's still going strong. He's in his 70s. He's been doing it 40 years. He saw a lot of changes over his career. Yeah. When I was a kid, my dad would make 10% on any airline ticket, 
period. He also could show up to an airport and get on a plane, like without even notice, just fly wherever he wanted, right? Then in the mid 90s, the internet came along and all of a sudden the airline said, we'll give you 5%. Oh, we'll give you 3%. And then it went to zero. And then they had to start charging directly to the consumer for the fee. Now, I will stand by that travel agents serve a valuable purpose, right? Right. If you're in an airport in London and your airplane's canceled, it's nice to make pick up the phone and call somebody who's sitting in a computer with all their in the war room and can figure it out for you, right? Nonetheless, most consumers have said, nah, we're just going to do it ourselves. I think a little bit of that's going to happen to our industry. Consumers, they like their travel agents when they don't have to pay them. They like their buyer's agents when they don't have to pay them. I question if they're going to like them enough to want to pay them. And I'm I'm sorry to say that. I don't think it's the right play, but I think it I think there's a high likelihood that is going to be the direction this makes. And this is where I go back to what you said, Joe, and I stand strong with you on this. Be a good listing agent. There is a lot of safety in this business if you are a rock star listing agent. You're going to be okay. I'm not saying buyers agencies going away, but it's going to be different. Go ahead, Joe. And I I do I I think there is a profession that will bloom for these people that are just going to use them to buy the house. I think buyers may do a lot of their own legwork and then they're going to use someone for a very nominal fee. There's cheapskates all over the place. I mean, there's people that still change their own oil in their driveway when you could pay Jiffy Lube, you know, 50 bucks. Could I save money replacing my own rear axle on my car? Probably, but why would you ever want to do that, right? So whether you're a TurboTax person or you have your own CPA and bookkeeper, it's just, it's it's a different mentality. And I want to talk about the kind of the ripple through the market, right? There is some panic out there. That's why this podcast and this particular topic with Rob is so important. It's like, oh my gosh. So first of all, they're going after the big, big companies, right? They don't care about the little guys. They're trying to get paid by the big, big companies. And how does this change the landscape of real estate moving forward? So the entire reason I created Masters in Real Estate Group, which is almost 12 years old, is to increase the knowledge, ethics, and professionalism and technology of our brokers. So is there reason to panic? Yes. The uneducated and the unskills have every bit of reason to panic. And if real estate's your side hustle, you're not going to have a side hustle. You're going to go back to hairstyling or Uber driving or whatever a teaching. It's not a part-time job. And the specialist, the marketing specialist on the listing side, and you know, from the buyer side, you got to be the best absolute best at what you're doing, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. It's the people mm-hmm. that don't take it seriously. It's mm-hmm. look, if the buyers, if, if it's free agent and it's like, I want the, the realtor who's going to negotiate the best for me, get me lots of money and, and buy downs and credits. I want my moving date. I want like everything. As long as it's a flat fee or a percentage basis, whatever it is, is there a difference? It's still the same amount of money, regardless who you get, but who you get might be able to negotiate better for you, get you your move-in date, get you more personal property. I mean, it's very relevant and it's becoming more and more of a specialized market. 
I would agree with a lot of what you both said. I want to key back on something that Steve just said. When I first went into my first training class in December of 1988 at Stan Whitey Realtors, and I walked upstairs, there was a huge banner on the wall. And what it says, I've never forgotten. It says, if you don't list, you don't last. Well, guess what? That still applies today. I'm more than ever. Changed. Yeah. 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 I now say more than ever, but it's always been that way through good times, through bad times. And the good times, realtors came in and they, you know, no knowledge, just write deals left, right, and center, make money. Well, they all drop out. What I mean, Steve, you probably know better than me, but what's the uh, attrition rate in this business? Something like 80% every five years? Two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot. I was thinking of something when you were talking, Joe, and I thought, you know, we keep talking about a buyer broker. Well, now it's the buyers that are going to be broker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what I let's let's assume it goes down the track you think it's going to go down, Rob, where listing agents only can get a listing contract for their commission. The MLS will not allow a BAC and the seller cannot pay the buyer's agent. Cannot. It's not allowed in the offer at all. Commissions are going to go down as a whole. I, I was, I was one of the stats I saw on CNBC is, you know, a couple in last year or the year before, $100 billion in commissions across the country, right? Big number, right? If every buyer's agent suddenly has to pay their own commission, there's going to be a percentage that say, no, I'm going to go straight to the listing agent. There's going to be another percentage that says, I'll pay a buyer's agent, but are they really going to pay what they were getting before? Probably not. So the buyer's side commission is going to come down a lot. So that $100 billion could suddenly be $60 billion, right? What does that do to the industry? You're going to lose. Right now, there's a million and a half agents. I would predict it's a million. It has to be. The pie just shrunk. There's not enough for everybody to stick around. And I'm not talking about the the, the guys that started last year. I'm start talking about you know senior agents who've been around for a while not the best, Joe, not the best, not the, the great listing ones, not the, the the rock stars, but, you know, the ones on in maybe not the fringes, but a little bit inside from the fringes. Right. In a way that we've never seen in this business. And what's crazy to me is you couple that with the market we're already in. What does that do? Right. You already are. We're already in a market where you were going to lose some. By the way, you usually lose them January when they those PMAR dues come due, right? Right, right, yeah. So how many this January who are already struggling and now are seeing this on the horizon as a future struggle are going to just tap out? And one word I heard somebody say the other day, early retirement. Well, that's one group. People who just say, you know, I, I was going to retire in 2025, but boy, this might be the time to do it now, right? So there's definitely changes coming for sure. Well, to, to back that up, I believe I may have this right. I've heard that 100,000 realtors have already quit in, in, in the U.S. And keep in mind, by the way, we ran very well with under a million realtors, which are members of the National Association of Realtors. And now, what is it, 1.6 million? And that's not counting about another million realtors or real estate agents. Like in Seattle, for instance, if they're not a member of NAR, which they don't need to be, then they don't show up in that number. So we need to lose a lot of realtors and mm-hmm. a lot of real estate agents in this country. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure, and like you said, the, the barrier to entry is only a couple of thousand dollars. So, you know, when commissions being what they are these days, because house prices are higher, it's been easy to hang on and pay that. But now with sales being low, I heard something the other day that 83% of realtors in the nation haven't sold more than four houses this year, mm-hmm. which is 
a lot worse than normal. Well, are those guys going to pay the thousands of dollars it takes? And by yeah. the way, in some areas like British Columbia, for instance, it's much more expensive. The, the, the barrier of entry is much higher. I believe you have to go to law school for six months. Mm-hmm. So, so in my opinion, the, the barrier of entry needs to be stepped up a little bit. And yes, we are going to lose a bunch of realtors. And for those of us that stick around, it's really actually pretty good for the rest of us. I, I agree. And, I, it's going to even back, out. Steve, going back, Steve, to your comments about your dad, and I'm a big travel guy. My wife and I have flown actually next week. It'll be 100,000 miles just this year. And so we travel a ton. But remember back then, and you were a kid watching all of this, so you've got a lot of experience of, oh, my God, the sky's going to fall. Because that's what they did to your dad in your dad's industry. And they also did it to books. Think about Amazon. If only we'd all bought stock back then. But they also said at the time that that would happen in real estate, and it never has. So at the end of the day, we're still eyeball-to-eyeball or belly-to-belly business, as Bert Waugh used to tell me back when I worked for him. And that's never going to change. And we've still got to get out and show people houses. And I agree with you. I agree with you. The the listing side of the business is going to go strong. And in some ways, I want to be on record saying, I think commissions could go slightly up for listing commissions. And here's why I say that. All of a sudden, if they decouple commissions and we no longer are allowed to pay the buyer's agent, maybe there's a little bit more meat on the bone for the listing agent, just ever so slightly. And I want to be careful. I'm not going to say numbers on here because for antitrust reasons. But normally, if I was you know, getting this much and this much was going to the buyer's agent, Maybe now this much doesn't seem that bad to the listing agent, right? And there may be a scenario where I've kind of thought this through and I, and none of us know how this is going to shake out. None of us know. So I'm not saying this is what it's going to happen. But in the past, we would oftentimes go to a, a listing agent and say, look, if you list with me and there's a buyer's agent, that is, a co-op buyer's agent, I'll get X percentage. If we're on b- both sides, if my team's on both sides, I'll reduce that. Maybe it's the opposite in the future. Maybe we say, look, if there's a buyer's agent on the other side and the buyer's agent is being paid by the buyer, I'm at this percentage. But if the buyer comes to me and I'm doing both sides and I'm doing all the work, maybe it's going to be a little bit more, right? So it's there's a lot of different ways this can shake out. And what we do know for sure, Rob, is it's going to be change. There is change coming down the tunnel. We started the show saying this, and I want to I want to make one big point to it. There's a book by Darren Hardy. I think it's called The Compound Effect. One of the great lines in the book, he said, Darwin, Charles Darwin, when he wrote Survival of a Species or whatever that book was called, and and this isn't a pro-evolution or versus creation conversation, but he but he made a good point. He said, the species that survive are not the strongest. Right. The fastest. What is it, Rob? It's those that are the most adaptive. The most adaptable. Yeah. The well, most adaptive, right? Adapt, I think that, exactly it's a misconception that it's a survival of the fittest or survival of the strongest or survival of the fastest. It's survival of the most adaptive. That will absolutely happen to our industry. Those who can see where the puck is going, instead of spending all that time fighting the fact that it's going there, adapt to where it's going, embrace it, see the positives of what to do, and then make those changes, they will they will flourish. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that, Get that ahead like of the it. great one, Wayne Gretzky. You know, when he was interviewed at the end of his career and they said, How did you do, you know, what made you different than all the other ones? He said, 
I never looked at where the puck was. I looked at where the puck was going. Absolutely. Yeah, I love and that. That's line. what we all need to do. Yeah. And we don't yeah. know. I mean, I think the word, if we were to analyze this entire 45 minutes we've been talking, the word we'd probably been using the most is maybe. And the yeah. reality is nobody has any idea. We're all making educated guesses right now as to what's going on. The one thing we know for sure is things are going to change. And I'll add one other thing to that, Rob. Because I, I had this conversation with with another really good agent recently, and I was telling him, I said, look, be a strong listing agent, be a strong listing agent, focus on listings, master your craft, be a great listing agent. Because he was advocating like, well, we just got to, we got to show buyers that we're valuable and we got to do this. And I, and I said, okay, that's fine. I'm not arguing that. That's good. But be a strong listing agent, be a strong listing. Agent. And he looked at me, he goes, well, Steve, it's always been advantageous to be a strong listing agent. I said, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So if nothing changes, you'll be a strong listing agent and that's going to be good. If everything changes, be a strong listing agent and that's going to be good. So whatever changes happen, being the best listing agent out there will be the, the best place you can be. And, and Steve, you're a strong listing agent. And I've always been about 70, 30 you know, listings to buyers. But the reality is there's some that hate listings. And they want to work with they buyers and they might be freaking that. out right now. They better change well, that. Well, I, I don't say yeah. don't change that. Just learn how to sell your value. I think they need exactly. to change. I'll, I, I actually will disagree with you on that, Rob. I think they need to change that. They need they need to embrace listings if they want to stay let's, in this business. Let's settle on a combination of both. I think there's going to be a lot <laughs> of headwinds. If you're, if you're going from buyer to buyer, trying to claw enough commission out of each one, assuming that's how this is going to go, I think you're going to have, you're just, every day is going to be a grind and, and you're still going to make very little money. Well, isn't that the case right now? I mean, has anybody ever actually no, analyzed? No, if you go list no. a house, hang on, let me finish. If, if you go list a house right now, from the moment that you go on the listing appointment to the day that it closes versus representing a buyer, isn't it like seven times more time working with oh, a buyer yeah. than a seller? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 But they're always going to get that, you know, two, two, two and a half, whatever BAC. I mean, that's always been there. That's always been the pot at the end of the rainbow. True. If now, now what you're, now what we're talking about is that same amount of work, that same amount of grind for some, some roller coaster of commissions. And maybe this one's willing to give you this percent. Maybe this one's, I don't think most are going to give you the same commission we've been used to. Not when they're footing the bill. I just don't see it. Well, probably the buyer's agents will probably get less compensated and do more volume. And look, real estate isn't going away. A real estate specialist isn't going away. Who's going to go away are the people who did not master their craft. I hate the word pivot because I always think of friends when they're moving the couch. But instead of pivot, let's say if you can adapt and get ahead of it and go to the trends of how we co-mingle with buyers, then you're going to be okay. I still believe that if you don't list, you don't last. You're exactly right. But we're going to work with buyers and we're not going to not work with buyers because potentially we get paid less and maybe have less responsibility as well. We're going to serve the people who need us. And, you know, I compare, I, I don't compare realtors to used car salesmen. We've been trying to up the professionalism. So we're, you know, looked at as doctors and lawyers. And look, real estate isn't heart surgery, but you're selling someone's largest material asset either to them or for them. And 
you don't want any knucklehead doing it. That's all. If you screw up with your largest asset, that's a massive screw up. So there is a need for us. And, you know, looking at this positive, there's a lot of white noise in the last two, three years. We've had, we went from an opportunist market to a specialist market. And in the opportunist market, the 2012ers who all got into real estate because we hit the bottom and we're going up, they didn't have to be good. They just had to be in front of somebody who had a real estate need. I think with this, the professionalism holistically, the real estate profession is going to be way more professional as things tighten up and there's less of us, which is goes back to my mantra. It gives you more and more reason to master your craft, stick in it for the long haul or go do something else. This morning I was at the gym and I'm going to throw another thing into this. It's slightly off the subject, but it's kind of related. And I was working out at the Mac club next to Phil Wax, who's also a longtime realtor. And we were kind of talking about the fact that, I mean, I'm working from home. My wife owns an art gallery in case you can't tell by all the art on our walls. And when I, he said, you know, when we first bought the business, there were agents that kind of took us under their wing and looked after us. And I can think of my early days at Stan Wiley and I could, the Leola Bowermans of the world and several other people like her that were just wonderful. And I learned from them. Well, now I work from home. And who's going to train all of these young realtors to do this properly? Yes, you can go to Steve's office or anybody's office and take classes. But it's not the same as sitting around in an office, listening to a bunch of experienced realtors on the phone, negotiating deals, walking down the hallway, talking about a home inspection on their cell phone, stuff like that. So that's going to be an interesting spin on this, too. We all need to change. But who's going to train them how to change? I want to add something to that, Rob, because I've thought about this, too. In thinking these changes through, and if it goes the direction we're talking about, where listing agents are the absolute kings. They've always been they've always been in a power position, but they're the absolute kings because their sellers are see their value, they're paying them gladly like they always have. And the buyer's agents are a little bit more in the I want to be careful how I say this, but there's headwinds and they're trying to show their value and they're trying to cross commissions on a day in and day out basis just to to make a, a meager living. That changes the barrier of entry to this business because most people that come into this business start with buyers. They would come into the business and they would, who, who do you know? Name name a new agent you know that their first transaction was a listing, their second transaction was a listing, third transaction. It's historically been, they work with a few buyers, they get their feet underneath them, they make those commissions, and then they and then they start getting a listing here or there, right? right. And part of that is because of cost too listings cost money. I take it from this guy right here <laughs> who has a lot of listings. And in this environment that we're in, some of them are canceling. They're, they're hey, maybe I'm going to rent the house. Maybe I'm going to do this, right? It's a cost you have to be cognizant of, whereas buyers historically are free to work with, right? So I do think the barrier of entry, and, I, and this, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, right? I think we agree that maybe the barrier of entry in this business should be a little higher. I think the barrier of entry could be higher in the future because if listings are where the safety is and new agents have to go straight into listings, I think it's harder to go straight into listings than it was in the past or now to, to go start working with buyers right away. Uh, that's a really good point because really you had to decide to have nice clothes and put gas in the car and drive a half-ass decent car, or in my case, put electrons in the car. But you're right. That's basically it. Or do open houses, which are free, right? You're, you're covering yeah. 
Rob or Steve's open houses, you're trying to pick up buyers. If there's not a lot of money in that, it's a headwind to get commissions there. Then they have to figure out how to get listings right out of the gate. Right. So again, we don't know how this is going, but these are, and these are all hypotheses, but they're, you know, they're interesting to do. And you can kind of, can kind of have some idea of the direction of things. Well, the, the listing side actually takes lots of skill and lots of development. The other thing is how many new brokers are transitioning and they're not coming at you to you from a place of abundance. They're coming at a place of scarcity, right? They, they can't like, hey, I'm going to start a job where I don't get paid and then I just got this listing. So I'm going to have like $2,000 worth of aerial video and photography and pay for the sign and all the websites and all the things. And it could take that listing six, nine months and it may never sell. And so that's why the new brokers that come in, the lowest expenses is working with buyers and the fastest they would get paid is potentially working with buyers. And, you know, we're talking about this landscape changing and how the person that works with buyers, it's probably going to get reduced. I agree. They'll probably like get paid less and then do more volume. The next question is, when is this going to go into effect and be like standard process throughout the United States? We're years away. I mean, there's multiple lawsuits going on. There's appeals I, I going on. I don't, at the I don't know. I mean, these copycat lawsuits left and right, I think could speed it up, Rob. What do you think about that? Oh, maybe, I mean, if, but it's still, I mean, it's a, it's how many lawsuits can these companies fight at the same time? Good, valid point. But I'm sure it's a year or two before things settle down and it all gets figured out. But yeah, we need to be able to figure out this change now and, and adapt to it. There's no question. But, you know, I mean, it's kind of like I had somebody say to me a couple of weeks ago, you know, boy, you're in the real estate business. must be tough right now. Certain people still need to sell. And I sat back and I thought about my my listings. I had seven at the time. It was like death, death, divorce, divorce, corporate relocation. There's still reasons why people still need to sell. And so the market is still going to continue. People are still going to what was it? Corporate Relo is 35% of the, of the the business of the sales world right now. Downsizing, buying second homes, all that sort of stuff. It all plays into it. All the reasons why people buy and sell are never going to change. That's not going to change. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of how we fit ourselves into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you compare this? Let's talk a little bit about the market in general, Rob. We said we'd touch on that. How do you compare this market? And I, I know there's underlying conditions that are very different of course, the reasons why this market, but how do you compare it to the Great Recession, 2010, 2009? Well, that was that was so much tougher. So if if, if we, the three of us owned $300,000 houses and all of a sudden you lost yours, Steve, and it went to the bank and you owed like 200,000 on it and the bank stuck it on for 250, then you sold it for 250, then Joe's and mine are no longer worth $300,000. Yeah. Joe needed to sell his because he's moving to LA or something. So yeah. he had to put that at 240. There's millions of houses on the market, including other ones dropping their prices. And he sold it for 220. So I stuck mine on it. And it didn't hit that bad in Portland. I mean, there were pockets like Happy Valley that were pretty tough. But if you look at like Las Vegas and Phoenix and areas, I mean, Las Vegas lost 70% of their homes values. Mm-hmm. And it was almost the same too. Mm-hmm. This is but the transaction like count is is similar. Did you know? Did you have you noticed that? There was a statistic that in this year, 4 million units will be sold across the country. 
That's the lowest number of units since October of 2010. And one of the asterisks and, and caveats to that is there's more people now, population-wise, and there's more houses. So that tells you, now, I agree with you. This is not the same, and I don't think it's going to last the same amount of time. I mean, I think what's great about this environment we're in is, and we saw some good inflation data yesterday, right? And we yeah, saw great. rates recede. I think we're rates dropping a percent or two away from being in a very healthy market, right? So it could change quickly. Whereas in 2010, even though the transaction numbers are similar to then, when we were looking around in 2010, we knew this was not going to correct itself anytime soon. It was going to be a while before we slogged through all those foreclosures and, and things got better, right? Well, there's a couple of huge differences. And by the way, as a point that I want to make, the huge difference, in my opinion, is back then, 20% of people in the United States had 50% equity or more in their houses. Now, 58% of people have 50% or yeah. more equity in their houses. Huge. So if you lose yeah. your job, you're yeah. not going to hand it back to the bank. You're nope. going to sell it, even if you sell yep. it at a discount. Absolutely. The second thing, this is something that's always amazes. My wife is a wonderful shopper. And back in the day when this was a real big deal, back in the day when this was a big deal, Black Friday would come along and she'd be one of the ones lining up at 6 a.m. to buy stuff. Why? Because it's on sale. Well, houses are on sale right now. And every time houses go on sale, people run the other direction. Mm -hmm. And so I did, a, I did a post actually on my newsletter, and I don't have the stats in front of me. I should have brought it up. But on a, the average Portland house, if you put 20% down on a $650,000 house, whatever that worked out, I think it was like 480 or something like that. If you look at the difference between 5.5% and 7.5%, over two years, it was something like 15000 bucks. But if that same $625,000 house, $625,000 house, I think it was, went up 4% for two years in a row, which is very realistic, that's over $50,000. So why aren't people buying right now when there's great opportunity and refinance it later? We just did. You know, we bought a, a high-end luxury home that we're putting money in. Yeah, I gave up a 2.25% mortgage and I picked up a 7, which I will refinance and buy it down. My guess is you had a lot of cash down, though, right, Rob? Is that a fair guess? I, I did, and I'll, yeah. I'll pay it down. And that's and, that, and that's where that's the difference. I think those who can should not all will, but should. One of the challenges is just those who who simply can't. There was a statistic I heard that was interesting recently, where when mortgage rates were say three percent, and you bought a house, you know, say you bought a seven hundred thousand dollar house, your payment would be X, right? Today, to have that same payment with the same down at 8% mortgage, and I know they're not at 8% anymore, you would have to buy the house for 50% of what that same person bought it for a few years ago. So there are real affordability issues that are affecting the market. And and that I mean, you could tell people till you're blue in the face, this is the time to buy. But if they can't afford a house at 8%, I mean, what are they going to do, right? And one of the challenges of this environment is when you price out the first time, and we saw this a little bit in 2008, when you price out the first time home buyer, they can't afford anymore. Well, guess who's right. going to get the move up buyer? Now the move up buyer can't afford. And so it affects this price point and up and up and up from there. So agreed. it's interesting. The mortgage business is getting hit hard, a lot harder than we are, even though may, maybe our time's coming. That that was kind of how 2008, 2009 went, was the mortgage industry got hit first and then the realtors second. 
But I've come across some of my good friend loan officers in the, you know, in the last few months. And I'm one of my first questions to them is how does this compare to 2010? And I'm hearing across the board unequivocally, this is far worse to them. And they're not saying this is worse, like it's going to be longer or anything, but just the volume of transactions is so low because it's, because if you think about it, they have zero refis. I mean, unless there's some kind of bankruptcy situation or cash out dire situation, there's no refis out there. So take away that half of their business. Then you factor that now, now you've got all the purchases being down as low as they are. And a lot of those purchases are cash, right? They, they don't get a piece of that. So the volume count of business for for mortgage loan officers has really, really shriveled up to a level possibly even lower than the Great Recession. That, that um, might be, but also it was it was falsely high at two and a quarter. I was, I was listening when I was driving absolutely, home to the gym this, absolutely. driving home yeah. to the gym this morning. I was listening in some big bank or investment house or something predicted that rates will come down two and a half percent by the end of next year. Well, given that we just agree that we're never going to see two and a half again, if rates go from, I guess they were eight, now they're around seven, but if they drop to five and a half, I think there's going to be a refi boom. inventory in the market. There's yeah. going to be a refi boom. The market's going to go nuts and we're going to yeah. have multiple offers on houses sure. that somebody sure. could have picked up for 50,000 less is now going to pay $50,000 more. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a balance, right? You know, the interest rate and the prices and you know, the topic being our current market, we have killed the demand. When you raise the rates 12 times in a short period of time, you kill the demand for anybody to do anything. The person sitting on 2.5% isn't going to sell their house and rebuy something at eight. And the people that are, are trying to buy, you know, maybe can't buy the same house at 8%. You know, you have to qualify for, you have to earn twice as much to buy at 8% as two and a half, or maybe not twice as much, but it's a market killer. And some of those houses out there, you can reduce it over and over and over again, and they still might not sell because of the demand, unless it gets to the ridiculous pricing. But I pulled up some houses and just last night and saw a bunch of houses and townhomes and such that are on the market for less than what they paid, like substantially. Yeah, yeah. You know, you see... You know, the poor people that got involved in these crazy bid wars and in 2022, 2021, you know, where you're you really want the house and you're going in there for 175 grand over list. I mean, look, if you're going to be there 10 years, 15 years, not a problem. If this was your missing puzzle piece and you had to have that house and that's what it took at that time. But everybody else, you know, you might be in a you might be standing in a little water right now with what our market's doing. And I do believe that, I don't think it's, I, I agree. I don't think we're going to correct two and a half percent on our interest rate in a year's time. I think that the wavelengths have been longer and slower because Rob, I lived through, this is my fourth correction too, after 9-11 desert storm and the 2007 fiasco. And I remember like, when COVID happened and then we had a little, our first little skip in the record. And then people are like, oh my gosh, what's happening to our market? And then it was like two months later and everything seemed to normalize and people are like, hey, it's over. The peak and valley, the valley is over. It only took two months sure. and the market's still strong and they're going on social media. Who says our market's bad? I listed this and got six offers. Well, 
it's a longer wavelength and we got to strap in and buckle up. I think there's going to be a lot of corrections and I, I think we're in a, in for a, at least a three year, you know, digging in and, and getting back to the basics and we're going to lose okay. a lot of people. Keep in mind two things. First off, in the last four recessions, house prices only went down in one of them, which was the 2006 recession. Second thing, we all had clients call us that bought houses in 2005, and they called us two, three years later and saying, what the hell am I going to do now? And to those ones that we said, look, you got to live somewhere, just hang on to the house, they sure are glad they did. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like the person that I started this whole thing with today, you know, that bought that house for 50 grand and look where we are today. But over mm-hmm. time, real estate is always your best investment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my observations in, in recent weeks and months is just when rates got close to 8% or even exceeded it, it really, really locked up the market. So there is a there is a there is a threshold where the market and the affordability absolutely just slows things down. And it's somewhere around that eight percent level. As it drops down from there, and, and I think as of today we're in the 7.4% range is what I saw on TV on CNBC. It starts to open up a little bit more. I'm not saying it's great, but there's a little bit of activity, right? And obviously there was activity at 8%. I'm not saying there was no one buying. Again, it's just interesting to observe that how that how that all interacts there. When the rates kicked up like five times in a short period of time and, you know, the the, the start of all of this, I would talk to the lenders and I'm like, you guys doing any refis? And they're like, just divorces, divorces only. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and my point is, whatever the market is, life doesn't slow down for the real estate market, right? And there, there's there's motivators for your, your AMC. It's attitude, motivation, commitment. Sometimes you got to buy a house or sell a house and the market may be, you know, the opposite of what you want to do. You may have to sell in a buyer's market. You may have to buy in a seller's market. But the factors that you need to look at are people getting married, having babies, getting promoted, getting transferred. And on the downside of that, the exact opposite, death, divorce, getting laid off, fired. But there are motivators where people have to sell real estate and you don't have the luxury to wait around. Or so, have to buy real estate or have to buy real estate. To buy right? or yeah. sell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, if you're relocating you're here. Yeah, yeah. So. Somebody else said that recently and I, I really agreed with them. They said, you know, the, the people in the market right now are the people with events happening in their lives, right? They're they're relocating a job, they're they're you know, they're, they're getting a divorce. There some event is happening. There's a lot less people that are jumping into the market just for willy-nilly. And you might be one of the exceptions, Rob. It sounds like you were one of those people, right? Did you downsize, by the way? Well, we downsized and that was a mistake because I learned that your kids get married and then your kids have kids. So now we're upsizing. Oh, now you're upsizing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and and we learned this during the Great Recession. When when prices are down, if you're upsizing, you're actually going to come out ahead because exactly. you're you're taking a hit on the lower priced house, but you're gaining more on the bigger priced house. It's actually a bad time to downsize for that reason because if you're downsizing, you have this big house that you're going to say you're going to take a haircut on. Well, that same mm-hmm. haircut on the smaller house is going to be less than the right. the one you're giving up, right? Yeah. So I bet, um, I bet you still have the master on the main, though. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Primary, primary, Joe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> primary. That's right. Well, this you know, a that's a hard show. one for me. That really is a hard one for me. So let's talk just briefly about the, hey, you can't say that anymore movement. I've been doing this. So December 10th will be the start of my 33rd year for getting my real estate license. And we've been taught to say master bedroom and it wasn't a bad thing whatsoever. And you think about there's you have a master gardener, you have a master chef, you have a, a karate master. I think the master bedroom in a house doesn't necessarily mean a slave owner's house or the karate guy is not a slave owner's karate guy. But look, I'm teachable. And if it's politically correct to say uh, primary instead of master, I will. But anyway, going at this stage in your life from a small house to a bigger house because of grandkids, you're still probably going to keep the primary on the on the main it level. Is. It is. Well, thanks yeah. guys for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. We do have a couple quick comments. I want to I want to read here. These are on your wall, Joe. We've got Cheryl Clunas. She's commented a couple times. For some reason, it doesn't let me see all the comments. I think they hide some of them and I can't figure out how to click it open. But she said, Rob Levy, thank you for your wisdom and insight. Jody Hewitt said, spot on, Steve. David Tangvalt said, Rob, thank you so much for taking the rudder on this issue. If I hear you correctly, though, all the white no noise right now, I'm going to plan, work, rehearse, and state my value proposition over and over so I am a natural at handling any objections that come my way when I state my charged fee of X. I really appreciate you, Rob. Thank you so much. I know a couple of people are going to watch the recording who could not be here today. Happy Thanksgiving to you and Bev. Jack Kearney said, Joe, will this recording be available as a link? And, it, yeah, and the answer is absolutely yes, it will. So thank you those who watched it live. Sorry, couldn't be on Masters this time. We're going to figure that out for the next one, which will be with Tucker next month in December. And this was a great show. And Rob, we do want to have you back on. You mentioned, go ahead and tell tell our audience what you want to talk about on our next show with you. Because I, I think you're a great, great guest. You are full of wisdom and we'd love to have you on again in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, investing in property, investing in real estate, You know, taking care of ourselves. We take great care of our clients, but we don't take great care of ourselves. So both traditional methods of investing and then also using self-directed retirement accounts. And there's some wonderful ways to do that, to not pay taxes or pay little taxes on yes. real estate gains and rents and everything. And I'd love to share that. I yeah. would love, yeah. love to hear yeah. that too. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Rob, you got to go. And I'm going to stop the live feed and then I'll talk to you guys just briefly. We'll let everyone get on with their day. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Portland Real Estate Podcast, Oregon and Washington's number one show for cutting edge real estate discussions. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to the members of Masters in Real Estate, a private and exclusive Facebook group and the number one source for all real estate topics. Thanks for being there, gang. I love you. Finally, I want to thank our faithful listeners. Without an audience, we're just two guys talking to each other. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so the new episodes automatically come to you. Make it great.